Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, as we continue in the sermon series, Asking for a Friend, our question is, why does God say wait until marriage? I think you can understand why this would be an asking for a friend question. Not too many times have people come to me to ask this question because they're afraid, I suppose, of what the pastor might think of them asking that question. But it's a good question to ask because we live in a world that doesn't really believe that God's word has anything to say to us. You probably have heard this accusation leveled against the Bible, right? It's outdated. How could God know when the Bible was completed 2,000 years ago what society would be like today? And how can anything that he had to say 2,000 years ago possibly apply to us today? Is it possible that we as Christians, when we see what's going on in the society around us, struggle to explain why God could have a truth that he does in the Bible that so seems to contradict the way people want to live in our world today? That's why we want to dive into this lesson for today, to dive in a little bit to what God says and and why he says what he says in his word. Pastor Mike Novotny, who some of you might recognize that name, he is uh, the Time of Grace pastor. He uses this illustration when he counsels couples before they get married, the illustration of a fire. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How many of you have a fireplace in your homes? Go ahead and raise your hands if you have a high fireplace in your home. Or if you've ever lived in a home with a fireplace, you can raise your hand then too. Okay, some. All right. A lot of you. you. You get it. You know how blessed you are to have that warmth on a winter day, to be able to start a fire and and let that warmth uh, give you comfort and peace. And yet you know that what's in that fireplace, the flames that are in that fireplace, the fire can be terribly damaging and destructive if it's not contained, right? The same is true of God's gift of sexual intimacy, of God's gift Given the parameters of marriage, when it's used in the way that God wants it to be used, it's a tremendous blessing to God's people. But when it leaves those confines, when it's outside of that containment, it has the ability to do terrible damage, destruction, pain, disease, even death can be caused. And so when we look at what God says in his word and discover why it is that God says it, We're going to go back, first of all, to that first marriage and then some words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what he says, and these will be the words for our sermon text today. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As I said, let's go back to creation first, to day six of creation and specifically, when God put into his creation not just all of the animals, but Adam, and then later, as we read in Genesis chapter 2, from the rib of Adam created Eve. This is day six of creation. And at the end of that day, after God gives Eve to Adam and Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And after God's commentary that it is for this reason that a person, a man, will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. It's after that that God says, everything on day six and everything else in all creation was very good. 
the Hebrew text says, tov ma'od. And that means perfect. It was exactly the way God wanted it to be. And that includes God's gift given to Adam and Eve, his gift of intimacy in marriage. It is good. It's something that God wants to bring to husbands and wives as a blessing. And it's God's. It was God who brought Adam and Eve together. It was God who gave them the opportunity to be two becoming one. You don't have to look too far around our world, do you, to see that that's not really how the world thinks today. We live in a society that literally wipes its feet on God's sixth commandment, on this idea that somehow God can dictate when and where his gifts are supposed to be used. We live in a world that says, well, really, God couldn't mean what he said way back in Bible times, right? Uh, Here we are 2,000 years later. If something is so good, then shouldn't it be able to be used more times than, than just in those confines of marriage? And you know this is true, that ever since the fall into sin, human beings have done their best to redefine what God says in his word. They've done their best to take what God says in his word and, and put our own spin on it, try to make it palatable to each one of us. That's why it's a blessing that God's word is so clear. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, which we read earlier, says this, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. It's a hard passage to read and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But let's start with the simplicity of God's law. Isn't that a beautiful thing? A beautiful blessing about God's law? It's not very hard to understand. And this one is really simple. Are you married? The answer is no, then don't. If you are married, then God gives you that blessing in marriage with your spouse. What God intended this blessing, the blessing of sexual intimacy in marriage to accomplish was to bring goodness into the marriage, to bring blessings to the husband and wife through it. Maybe that word intimacy is a really good word to use simply because it emphasizes the closeness of the relationship that God gives to husbands and wives. Jesus called it two becoming one, the very words that God used in the Genesis account. And the Apostle Paul refers to it not just here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but also in Ephesians chapter 5. This is God's design. And it's more. It's so much more than just a physical act to meet a physical need. God gave this gift to husbands and wives to draw them closer to each other, to create a bond together in marriage. It's called, in all of those places, a one flesh experience. It's the first truth that I'd like you to take from our sermon today, that God blesses marriages with the one flesh experience to strengthen the bond between husband and wife. What God is giving, the special gift that he's given in marriage, is so valuable to husbands and wives and wives that it's worth whatever it takes to get to your marriage and to give the gift to your spouse as the only person that they will ever be with and that you will be the only person that will ever be with them. I bet you're not going to be too surprised that science actually supports this concept. I know I'm on dangerous ground here because there's a lot of you sitting out here in front of me that know a whole lot more about science and chemicals and medical things than I do. But permit me to talk just a little bit about this one chemical. 
Oxytocin, tocin, oxytocin. Maybe you're familiar with it. Oxytocin is sometimes called the love chemical. It's what people feel, it's what's released in people's bodies when there is close physical contact. And the closer the physical contact, the more this love chemical is released. But here's the amazing part about it. It's not just something that makes you feel good. It's something that actually creates a bonding between the two people who experience it. It's a bonding agent that God has put into the human body. Maybe you won't be surprised to know that this same love chemical is produced in a woman as she's giving birth to a child or when she's nursing her children. It's the same exact chemical. It creates a bond. And that's the special bond that God wants to give husbands and wives in marriage. Is it understandable then if that bond is used outside of the parameters that God has given that it cheapens the bond that God wants someone to have? That it makes it less special and less important? Maybe that's why Paul starts the text in the way that he does when he tells us to flee from sexual immorality. Whether he has Joseph in mind or not, it certainly brings the picture of Joseph from the Old Testament, from Genesis 39. Perhaps you recall the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife takes an unhealthy interest in Joseph and tempts him to come to bed with her. Do you remember what Joseph did? He stayed away from her. He got out. He ran away. Right? He did anything that he could to avoid that because he said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. God's encouragement for you and me is to stay as far away from sexual immorality as possible. What Paul says next in our text has had quite a bit written about it because Paul doesn't explain exactly, exactly what he means or why he says it. He says that all other sins a person commits are outside their body, but sexual sins are sins against our own body. Could he be thinking of the description of the one flesh experience? Maybe. Could he be considering the fact that things can really be damaging to the human body when God's gift is used outside of the parameters of marriage? Possibly. Is he even thinking about the next thing that he is about to say? Maybe. Whatever the case, one thing is certain. Paul's words remind us of the seriousness of misusing the gifts that God gives. But listen to these next words that the Apostle Paul says. Might there be some reason other than because we're trying to avoid damage or we're trying to spoil something good that God has that we might want to follow God's will for our lives? Paul says yes. He tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know, he says, that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you are a temple, that you are a sacred place set apart by God in which the Holy Spirit dwells. You've received that Holy Spirit from God because you are redeemed by God. That's what the Apostle Paul wants us to recognize, that we have the special gift from God, that we are not our own, he says. You've been bought at a price. We are no longer we no longer have the status of sinners before God, but of people who are loved and redeemed and holy and pure. We were bought at a price. That price was the grace of God given to us in Jesus. And that price was a steep one. Once again, this 
year, we get to see a Lenten season, right? In which we get to see just how steep the price was that Jesus paid for our sins. I don't know that enjoy is the right word to go through a Lenten season because it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to look at the suffering and death of Jesus and recognize it was my sins that put him on that cross. It was my sins that caused him to be beaten and spit upon, the crown of thorns pressed into his head. And yet, that's where we see the love that God has for you and me, that he would sacrifice his own son. It is in that price that God paid for us that the Apostle Paul can encourage you and me to honor God in any way and every way that we can, including with our own bodies. Would you be surprised to know that the Bible uses this picture of bride and groom, of husband and wife, to picture the relationship between us, the bride, and Jesus, our groom, our husband? What a beautiful picture in Scripture of the closeness, of the intimate relationship that God wants to have with us through his Son. That we, the two who were at odds because of sin, are now one because a price has been paid by our Savior Jesus. What God wants by putting parameters on something in marriage is to give us protection. Protection from ourselves, from our own sin, protection from others, and protection for a beautiful gift that he has given. And he's given the motivation too, hasn't he? The blood of his very own son which redeems us from all sin. That's the second truth I'd like you to take from the, the lesson for today, our sermon for today, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit purchased with the blood of Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes this well in Romans chapter 12 when he writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We are redeemed. In view of God's mercy, we do offer ourselves to serve God. We say to God, take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. As I think about that passage, I think about that truth that free doesn't necessarily mean cheap, right? When Jesus gives us his grace for free, it certainly wasn't without a cost to Jesus. He went to the cross, and on that cross, nails were driven into his hands and feet. He suffered the very agony of hell for you and for me. I think of Martin Luther's words from his explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed that Jesus redeemed us not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent sufferings and death. It's that love of Jesus, it's that motivation that Jesus provides that gives us the strength to say no to sin and yes to following God's will for our lives. Maybe we can back up just a little bit and instead of asking the question, why does God say wait till marriage, we can simply say this as God's people. God, you are good. God, you are love. God, you prove that love to me in the cross of Jesus who was willing to suffer and die in my place. Now God, give me strength. Strength, first of all, to accept the teachings of your word and then the strength to carry those teachings out as well. If only we're at that easy, right? 
You know the world in which we live. You know how difficult it is. You know we live in a world where the idea of using something that God intends to be good in the parameters of marriage, using it anytime and anywhere that people feel it's possible, that is acceptable in our society today. And it simply seems to be no big deal anymore to think about doing something that at once maybe was thought of as going against God's word and his will. You don't have to watch much television, many shows, many movies, be on social media very long, do you, to recognize that the people in our society have an attitude towards God's word which completely shakes a fist in God's face and says, we don't care what you say, God. But maybe, as we sit here this morning, each one of us can also feel the sting of guilt when it comes to Sixth Commandment issues. See, Jesus once said it this way, if you look lustfully at another person, you've already committed adultery in your heart. We know how difficult it is to follow God's will in our thoughts, in our words, and, and even in our actions. We know the temptations that come in so many different forms, in many different ways. We, we become desensitized to sin. Maybe that sting of sin has gone even further in some of our lives. Maybe, like so many, the sin of pornography has become something that has infected eyes and hearts. Maybe the temptation to follow the ways of the world is something that people have tripped and fallen into that sin. So what does God have to say to us this morning? Those of us who have violated his will for our lives. Here's the beauty. He says exactly what the Apostle Paul says. You were bought at a price. You are forgiven. In the blood of Jesus, his son, every sin is washed away. And so maybe you sit here this morning and you say, Pastor, you said it would be a great gift to give to my spouse someday to show up at marriage to be the only person that, that they have ever been with, but it's too late for me. It's not too late. It's not too late for you to recommit yourself to say, I'm going to avoid what God wants me to avoid. First of all, to honor him, but then as a gift to my future spouse as well. And again, your strength, your motivation is the love of God. The price that was already paid for you. The price of Jesus' own blood on the cross. Here's the final truth I'd like you to take from our sermon this morning, that Jesus' forgiveness covers all sins, including our sins of impurity. Earlier in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul describes this so well in these words. Or do you not know, he writes, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is that an awesome verb tense? Were? Sin doesn't have to be the end. Sin doesn't have to control us. It doesn't have to be debilitating because it's already paid for. In the blood of Jesus, it's washed away. And in the price that he paid on the cross, you stand before God holy and blameless. Some takeaways from our sermon for today. First of all, number one, the one flesh experience God reserves for marriage provides a special bond for spouses. 
For those of you that are single here today, cherish that promise that God gives. Do anything that you can to preserve yourself for your future spouse. To the married today, thank God for the blessing that he's given you, that special bond that he has given you with your spouse in marriage. To parents and grandparents, pray. Pray for your children and grandchildren that God will give them the strength to say no to the temptations and the way of the world around them and hold on to the purity that he has given them. People, students, single people today, pray. Not just for yourself, that God will give you strength to say no to those temptations, but that he will give your spouse that same strength so that someday when he presents you with a person that he wants you to spend the rest of your life with, you will be able to give that gift to one another. Secondly, Jesus paid a high price to redeem us so that we would honor him. We are not our own. Jesus redeemed us, bought us back from sin, death, and the devil, and that gives us every reason to glorify and praise him. And finally, number three, the price Jesus paid forgives all of our sins, and God sees Jesus' purity in us. Yes, the sacrifice of Jesus, that price that he paid, is forgiveness. Can you imagine? Instead of standing before God, sinful, dirty, he sees us as clean and holy and pure in the blood of our Savior. Jesus once said in his Sermon on the Mount these words, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. I want you to take that promise to heart today. Listen to what Jesus is saying to you. Listen to what God is promising you. When you follow him, when you follow his word and his will for your life, then God promises his blessings, his grace and mercy to you. Then God is on your side. And if God is for you, there is nothing that can stand against you. As a word of caution, you know the other side. If we choose to say no to God's will and to his word, if we choose to not follow him, then we have to ask ourselves, how? How can God bless me if I'm choosing a path that goes against his will and his word? And so we come back to, Paul, to Paul's words once again. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That price was love. The love that God showed in the, in the blood that he shed on the cross. Remember that love and remember your place is secure with him and then honor God in your life. Amen. Mm -hmm.